This is Polarized Lens with Jennifer Merchan. Polarized Lens is a podcast that examines life through the filter of bipolar disorder. Created and hosted by a person living with bipolar disorder, Polarized Lens aims to explore the challenges of that mode of life in this neurotypical world, raise awareness, and help those who want to understand more about bipolar disorder. Content note. There is brief mention of miscarriage and suicidal ideation. Episode 3. You need to see a psychiatrist. Fighting the stigma of mental illness and getting properly diagnosed might seem disparate, but they're actually intimately intertwined. When you deny the seriousness of your condition, you sabotage yourself and risk inaccurate diagnosis. Shortly before my inpatient hospitalization 20 years ago, I was minimizing my illness to make the person I was married to at the time, let's call him Bob, less uncomfortable with the problems I was experiencing. I was seeing a general practitioner and, eventually, when I became desperate, a therapist. This therapist told Bob that I was a drug abuser with borderline personality disorder. Bob told me this over the phone after I had checked myself into the mental hospital. This was after I had shared my new bipolar 2 diagnosis with Bob, meaning he had latched onto this misdiagnosis and was basing decisions involving me on what the therapist had told him, not the accurate diagnosis provided by a qualified psychiatrist at a well-regarded mental hospital. My general practitioner had recommended this therapist. The first time I spoke with him, He mocked me when I said my job as a high school teacher was stressful. He later tried to steer me towards a 12-step program for taking prescription medication as prescribed. And when I tried to discuss my suicidal ideations with him, this therapist told me to grow up and act like an adult. Seriously. Because I refused to admit the gravity of the situation and schedule an appointment with my psychiatrist when my condition began to really interfere with my life, I opened myself up not only to inept treatment that made my condition worse, but also to misinformation being fed to people upon whom I depended by people less than qualified to diagnose a serious mental illness. And the person I was misguidedly trying to protect in the first place took that misinformation and ran with it right out the door. But that's another story. After three weeks of talking to the psychiatrist at the hospital, the only thing I remember him telling me other than my new diagnosis is, you really need to be seeing a psychiatrist. So I did. When I was finally released, I started seeing him, the doctor who had diagnosed me and treated me in the hospital. I saw that doctor until I moved away from the big city to a small city in a neighboring state. For the record, I do not recommend waiting until you need to be hospitalized to get a proper diagnosis from a qualified psychiatrist. See a psychiatrist as soon as you can. Unfortunately, depending on where you live, that can involve waiting from weeks to months. So, if you are in crisis, get help right away by calling or texting 988. If you are not in crisis, scour your area for available professional mental health resources, which are sometimes hiding in plain sight. 
If you do get a diagnosis from a general practitioner or therapist, make sure to later confirm that diagnosis with the psychiatrist. A therapist really should only be recommending that you get a diagnosis from a doctor, not offering one to you. Another reason to seek out a psychiatrist for a diagnosis is if you were first diagnosed as a teenager or young adult and you are older now. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders is in its fifth edition with a text revision. It's the DSM-5-TR now, and it has changed. My original misdiagnosis of major depressive disorder passed muster with more than one psychiatrist because bipolar II was so poorly understood in the 1990s, even though it debuted in the DSM-4 in 1994. Also, none of the people I saw bothered to take an extensive medical, family, mood, or behavioral history. As with any kind of doctor, some are better than others, and some are even bad. When I moved back to the small city and started grad school, I had no insurance and my options were limited. I took advantage of the university health clinic and saw a psychiatrist and a therapist there. My condition did not improve under their care, but I was able to get prescription medication that I was already taking. After I left school, I started seeing a general practitioner again and enrolled in a community program for people with low income that acted as an intermediary to provide free access to certain medications directly from the manufacturers. While this is a nice concept, I didn't always get what I needed when I needed it, and one time I went weeks without the medications that had been prescribed for me. Fifteen years ago, when I had insurance again, I chose a psychiatrist, randomly off the list my insurance company provided. He had great availability. At my first appointment, I told him my previous diagnosis, and he didn't even question it or me. He just acted as if he had diagnosed me himself. While seeing that same psychiatrist, I was having some issues with sleeping all the time and being unable to stay awake. His solution to this was to prescribe Adderall to me, a person with bipolar disorder. I don't know how unusual it is, but for me, it felt like hypoglycemia with mental weirdness. I hated it. It felt awful. When I asked him to take me off, the psychiatrist just reduced the dose and told me that my body needed to get used to it. Within two weeks, I had complained enough that he said yes to discontinuation. I was on Seroquel at the time and thought he probably should get me off that, but as it happens, the sleepiness ended up being the result of, you've probably guessed it by now, early pregnancy which happened because on Seroquel, I was so drugged up I couldn't remember to take my birth control pill. Once I tested positive for pregnancy hormones, but before the pregnancy could be confirmed via ultrasound, my psychiatrist had me stop all my psychiatric medications without tapering. There was no discussion about it. There was no warning about what would happen if I stopped all my meds suddenly. There was no waiting for the ultrasound. This was not a phone call. It was an in-office visit. My psychiatrist had every opportunity to offer me an informed choice or warn me of the consequences of discontinuation. He did not. I didn't question him. 
I had just found out that I could be pregnant, so I was not in a normal state of mind. Even so, I should not have blindly trusted him. But I did. And I trusted him again when he put me right back on everything at the same dose, including Lamictal, which must be started gradually. This put me in the emergency room. My psychiatrist did not respond to phone calls. From there, I entered an outpatient program at the mental health facility affiliated with a local hospital, where I encountered one of the psychiatrists who had diagnosed younger Jennifer with major depression. This time, I received a diagnosis of bipolar 2 disorder from him, 14 years too late. If I could do it all over again, what would I do differently? Well, 20 years ago, I was living in a major metropolitan area and had private insurance coverage. I had easy access to a full complement of mental health care. I should have worried less about stigma and the unease of others and more about the quality of my own care. When I first moved to that city, I was taking antidepressants and I knew that I had been diagnosed with major depressive disorder. I should have immediately searched for and found a new psychiatrist. Fifteen years ago, I should have taken that insurance directory and composed a short list of doctors to research their specialties and ratings online instead of blindly choosing that one psychiatrist. The doctor who put me in the emergency room had negative ratings online as early as 2008. Had I seen those, I would have at the very least been wary of his advice. Maybe I would have even had the sense to avoid him altogether. My next psychiatrist was assigned to me by the outpatient program that helped me through the recovery from the previous psychiatrist's poor care and the miscarriage. He was the one I had also seen when I was 20. By this time, though, I had a better feel for what was best for me, and although his diagnosis was on target, I felt over-medicated and couldn't function under his care. He didn't listen when I told him this, so... I sought help from a prescribing psychologist. I was frustrated by the care received from psychiatrists in the small city with its shortage of specialist doctors. I should have persisted with the search and sought recommendations for a better psychiatrist, but I had no more patients. Instead, I did my research and managed to get an appointment with one of the best psychologists in town. His intake interview included psychological testing, which was a first for me. This was 2008, and I stayed with him until 2022, when I developed heart palpitations while discontinuing Abilify. I chose to find a psychiatrist again because I should have been seeing a psychiatrist the entire time, and the medical effects of the discontinuation really drove that home. I chose my current psychiatrist after witnessing his intake interview technique with a family member. He started with physical symptoms to exclude possible physical causes. He proceeded to get personal, family, mood, and behavioral histories. He was intelligent, perceptive, communicative, and thorough. And he's a sleep specialist. For my intake, I also brought a family member so that he could help me fill in the blanks when my observations or memory failed me. Since my first visit, Interactions with my current psychiatrist have been free of eyebrow-raising weirdness and health-risking edicts. He recently expertly guided me out of a hypomanic episode, 
meeting me ahead of our regular appointment schedule at my request. His office responds within a day of contact. At times, the doctor himself will call me directly to get more details about my issues. Choosing a psychiatrist is one of the most important and challenging tasks for a person living with mental illness, especially bipolar disorder. You can ask your GP, your therapist, or your insurance company for a recommendation for a psychiatrist if you don't know where to start. There are also directories put together by WebMD and the American Psychiatric Association that you can find online. It's also not a bad idea to get recommendations from friends living with mental illness who have experience with mental health professionals. One approach is to seek doctors or clinics that specialize in bipolar disorder. If your choices are limited and that isn't an option, get referrals, pick from a curated list, and ask how much experience the doctor has with bipolar disorder. Find the best, most qualified candidates you can, then schedule an appointment. On that first visit, if the doctor doesn't meet your expectations, if they don't really listen, if they don't ask questions, if their philosophy clashes with yours, if they seem off or make you feel uncomfortable, find another one and try again. It's an audition process, and it may take time. In the meantime, keep seeing your current mental health care provider until you find a new one. Quality care is absolutely worth the time and effort put into finding a good, trustworthy psychiatrist. Remember to visit the blog at polarized-lens.com for a list of far more in-depth resources to help you in your search for a psychiatrist. Good luck. Thank you for listening. This has been Polarized Lens with Jennifer Merchan. Visit polarized-lens.com for bonus content. I am not a doctor. This podcast is not medical advice. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, don't hesitate. Call or text 988 and connect with someone who can help. Don't go down that road alone.